Morning, everyone. Great to be together. Uh, Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you this morning that we can be together. Uh, We thank you so much for all that you've done for us in the Lord Jesus, for your incredible love and forgiveness, uh, for your amazing grace and mercy that you've drawn us to be a part of something so profound and amazing. And uh, we ask that we grasp something more of that this morning. Please now speak to us uh, through your word and by your spirit as you promise you will. And uh, we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this moment in the gospel is the last night of Jesus' life. He's absolutely clear. He knows he's going to his death the next day. And he knows that he's going to die the most obscene, degrading, agonising death possible. He knows he's going to stand under the just judgment of God that we deserve for our sin and take it for us. What Jesus faces the next day terrifies him. And yet, what is it that he's doing this last night, this right before he is arrested? He's praying for you. He's praying for you. In the midst of the most incredible strain, his heart and his mind are on us. He prays to his heavenly Father, asking things for us. You can see this in verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message. He's just been praying for all his disciples, but with a specific focus on the 12 apostles minus Judas, that his father would protect them, would keep them, would sanctify them in the truth, as well as us. But here he prays, my prayer is not for them alone. It's not for the apostles alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message. The apostles' message, the gospel message. Jesus here focuses his prayer on future disciples, on all the Christians from that day throughout the centuries, which includes you, me, today. This is a beautiful and extraordinary thing. That in this moment, Jesus is praying for us. We are on his heart, on his mind, on his lips. Now, I don't know about you, but when I find I'm under pressure, stress, strain, pain crushing in me my focus narrows and narrows and narrows until all I see is me I become self-focused self-absorbed selfish and yet here we have the Lord Jesus facing something worse than we could possibly imagine and he focuses on us he's praying for us he goes to his death for us now as Jess said last week we pray what we pray for reveals the deep things that we care about and desire and the same is true of Jesus Jesus' prayers expose his deepest desires, and particularly in this final moment, right before his arrest, right before his execution the next day. Surely this prayer shows what Jesus wants most for you and me. And what is it that Jesus prays for here? Unity. Unity. You can see it throughout Jesus' prayer, verse 21, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Verse 22, that they may be one as we are one. Verse 23, I in them, you in me, so that we, they may be brought to complete unity. The language throughout the whole section of the prayer is about oneness, inness, unity. That's what Jesus prays for us here. This is the big thing that Jesus wants for all Christians. The unity of Christians is so important to Jesus that this is the thing that he focuses on in his prayer the night right before he dies, unity. But doesn't that beg the question, what is true Christian unity? What is true Christian unity? Is it that Jesus here is praying and wants all churches to get together? Get rid of denominations, get rid of divisions, stop dividing over teaching, stop dividing over practice and just get together and be one with each other. Work together, meet together, 
join together for prayer, love each other, unity. Is that what Jesus is praying for here? Or does Jesus here want us to find some really good Christian friends, people with similar interests, people we get along well with, and just really regularly hang out with them, do life together with them, have meals, have our families together, and so that we form a really tight-knit group of Christian friends? Unity. Is that what Jesus prays for here? Or does Jesus mean that he wants Christians to be nicer to each other, to get on better, to stop bickering and quarrelling and forgive each other and be at peace with each other? Unity. Is that what Jesus prays for here? Well, the great thing is we don't have to guess what Jesus prays for because as you look at his prayer, you actually see the things that he's asking for. And I think what he's asking for is very different and much bigger than what people normally think. Did you hear that? I think what Jesus is asking for in this prayer, Christian unity is much bigger and very different than most people normally think. What is the Christian unity that Jesus prays for here? Well, there are a number of pieces of the puzzle that build together to bring us a picture of the sort of unity that Jesus is talking about. So what we're going to do, look at each of these pieces of the puzzle and as we put them together, see the picture they paint for us of what is true Christian unity. Puzzle piece one. Christian unity is unity in the truth. Look again at what Jesus is praying for, verse 20, or who he's praying for actually. My prayer is not for the apostles alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Jesus' prayer for unity is not for all people. In fact, it's not even for all who call themselves Christians. It's for those who believe in Jesus through the message of the apostles. That's what a true Christian is. Someone who believes in Jesus, who trusts in Jesus through the message of the apostles. Someone who has heard the gospel handed down to them, the true teaching of the apostles given by the Holy Spirit, recorded in the page of the New Testament, believe that truth, put their trust in Jesus personally. Which shows us that true unity is unity in the truth about Jesus. The truth found in the New Testament, the apostles' teaching. Remember back in chapter 16 where Jesus promises the apostles that while he's going to leave, he's going to give them the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon them, the Holy Spirit is going to remind them of everything he has taught them while he was with them and is going to lead them into all truth. So that when the apostles taught, which is recorded in the pages of the New Testament scriptures, it's actually God's message given by the Holy Spirit to us. The gospel truth that Jesus gives us so that we might be saved. There can only be real unity amongst real Christians. And real Christians are only those who believe in the truth about the real Jesus. The truth given by the Holy Spirit of God through the apostolic teaching. If someone claims to be a Christian but their trust is not in the Jesus of the Bible, but in a Jesus that looks different from the Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus they're trusting is actually a Jesus of their own making and not a true Jesus at all. If someone rejects the teaching of the New Testament, then we're not united with them even if they carry the label Christian because ultimately they're not united to God nor the Lord Jesus. Do you see, this is the first key piece in a puzzle to understanding true unity that Jesus prays for here. Now, this pushes very strongly back against the ecumenical movement. Some of you might have come across it. The, the push for churches, largely regardless of belief or uh, uh, understanding the New Testament to unite together. The push, regardless of the belief for churches to join together for prayer and, and mission particularly. And the ecumenical movement has often cited this very passage, 
for which the reason why churches need to get together. See, Jesus says it, that we need to be one. He prays for it. And so all churches should get together and be united. And there can be a power, can't there, when like-minded churches who believe the apostolic teaching about Jesus get together, work together in partnership for the cause of the gospel. But to think that Jesus wants all churches to unite together regardless of what they believe is utterly crazy. Because there are churches that do not believe in sin, do not believe in the judgment of God, do not believe in the atoning sacrifice of Jesus to save us, do not believe in the physical, bodily resurrection of Jesus over death, do not believe that Jesus is the one and only way to God, do not believe that Christ is Lord over all and so our lives are his fundamental core Christian truths. There are churches that claim to follow Jesus but reject the moral, the ethical teachings of Jesus and his apostles. Blatantly reject the New Testament teachings on sexuality, on gender, on the sacredness of human life. There are churches that claim to follow Jesus but the Jesus that they follow promises a life of prosperity and wealth and health and success and only goodness and the only blockage to your blessing is your faith. The Jesus they follow looks nothing like the true Jesus is found in the apostles' teaching who goes to his death on the cross for us. Should we get together and work with churches and unite with them, those who reject such things? No, because we're not united to them. We're fundamentally separate from them because they're separate from Jesus because they fail to believe in the true Jesus as revealed by the Holy Spirit through the apostolic message. They reject the truth about Jesus that Jesus has made known. I remember once years ago I went to a strange meeting. Uh, The local council called together the youth ministers from the local area to ask us about how we were uh, supporting and working with the youth in the local area and to see if there's any way that they could support us in that work. And so you think about it and you think, I think that's a meeting worth going to. So I went along. And there were a bunch of youth ministers from the local area. And um, the council member holding the meeting set it up by asking what each of us were doing in our youth groups and with the youth um, in the area. And the first person to speak was a Korean Christian pastor who said something like this. Christianity is about salvation and then about transformation. It's about salvation because Jesus came to die to save us and bring us back into a relationship with God. And it's about transformation because once saved, Jesus works to make us more and more the people God wants us to be, which is good for us and good for our community. Transformation. Salvation, transformation. So as a youth ministry, that's what we're on about. We're on about teaching youth about the true Jesus to see them saved and to see their lives transformed. And I just thought, you're a legend, mate. You're a legend. You just nailed it. And the council member mumbled something like, well, that seems to be a traditional understanding of what the church has been about in the past. I'm wondering if anyone is doing anything more contemporary for the youth of our area. And at that point, every other youth pastor except me, I tried to underline what the Korean pastor had said, every other youth pastor jumped in to talk about how fun the youth program was with their rock climbing walls and their wrestling matches and their dance parties. And none of that is bad. But all they could say about what Jesus taught and who Jesus was is he will make your life here and now much better. And if I were to go on just that night, they seemed to have no sense that Jesus had come to bring salvation and then transformation. And so I left there thinking, man, I know that Korean pastor is my brother. But I'm really not sure about any of those others. I'm united to him because he trusts in the true Jesus, the Jesus of the apostolic message. But the others? Sadly, I think not. Now, note, I'm not talking about peripheral truths here. 
slightly different views on baptism or church governance or what's going to happen in the end times. I'm talking about central gospel truths. We are only united to true Christians, that is, those who believe the apostolic truth about Jesus. And with those people, we are deeply, profoundly united. First piece of the puzzle, Christian unity is unity in the truth. Puzzle piece two. Christian unity is unity of relationship. A unity is not merely believing a set of truths. That's critical. A unity sits on the bedrock of apostolic truth. But it is truth about a person the true Jesus, the truth of who he truly is. And becoming a Christian is, verse 20, by believing in Jesus, as he's revealed in the apostolic message. Becoming a Christian, being a Christian, is about trusting Jesus, a personal relationship with Jesus. That is where our fundamental unity comes from, all of us possessing a relationship with Jesus. You can see this in verse 21. Jesus' prayer for Christians is that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I are in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I give them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them, you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Jesus prays that just as he and his Father are one, so we would be one. That the oneness, the unity of Jesus and his Father would be our oneness. Now straight away you go, I know that that oneness can't be exactly the same of Jesus and his Father because the oneness of Jesus and his Father is the eternal oneness of the triune God. Our oneness comes to us by grace as we're included into relationship with God by Jesus. But Jesus' prayer is that the relationship of love and purpose that he and his Father have possessed for all eternity... Christians would be included into and would have that relationship with him and with each other. And we have it because verse 23, Jesus says, By my death, I am in them. Verse 21, may they be in us. We're united in this relationship with other Christians because we've been united to God by Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Brought into a relationship with the triune God to know God the Father through the Son by the Spirit. Which means our, our unity is not fundamentally organisational. Our unity is fundamentally organic. If I'm in a relationship with Jesus, united to him, then I'm united in relationship to every person who is also united to him. We're united to each other. If I'm connected to the true vine, Jesus, then every other person connected to the true vine, I am through Jesus connected to them As well, one plant connected to each other through relationship with Jesus. Another way the New Testament pictures it, if I am adopted by God through the Lord Jesus, then God is my father and every Christian becomes my brother or sister too. Our unity is based on our relationship with Jesus because it brings us into oneness with him and with each other. We've been plucked out of the dark, sinful, lost world that was opposed to God and under his judgment and wrapped up into a relationship with the living God and each other for all eternity. An incredible oneness of relationship. The second piece of the puzzle, Christian unity, is unity of relationship. Three, Christian unity is unity of love and purpose. Because you think about the relationship we've been brought into and what is it like with each other, with God... It's a profound relationship of oneness of love and profound oneness of purpose. See, if Christians are truly united, what should it look like? 
Well, Christian unity is to the unity of Jesus and his Father. Do you remember verse 21? All of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Verse 22, may they be one as we are one. Jesus wants Christians to be one like he and his Father are one. And so you think, what, what does it look like that he and his fa- Father are one? Well, it looks like a profound relationship, a relationship of love and unity of purpose. Think of the relationship of the Father and the Son that you've seen in the pages of the Gospel of John so far. The Father absolutely loves the Son and does everything for his glory. The Son absolutely, absolutely, absolutely loves the Father and does everything for his glory. Their love for each other is profound and perfect. And so Christian unity is likewise to be a unity of love. Wrapped up into that relationship, the love that the Father and the Son have for each other so that we are now loved by them and are to love them and each other. When you come to Jesus, you are wrapped up into a community of love, a common relationship of love with God and each other. But the second piece that is central to the relationship of the Father and the Son is unity of purpose. The Father and the Son are absolutely one in purpose, one-minded, committed to the same thing. Their wills are absolutely aligned, one-willed. And their big purpose, their absolute purpose, is bringing total glory to each other through the death and resurrection of Jesus to save sinners. And so Christian unity is a unity that is wrapped up into the purpose of God, wrapped up into the purpose of the Father and the Son so that we become like-minded, one-willed, common-purposed, wrapped up into that purpose to bring God absolute glory by taking the gospel out so that sinners might be saved and brought into relationship with God and that relationship grown. What will a church that is united look like? Well, what we've seen so far is it's going to be a church that is united around the apostolic truth. It's going to be a church that has real relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and his Father. It's going to be a church that is a community of love, self-giving, tender, caring, sacrificial love. And it's going to be a community of purpose, together united in the purpose of God, driven as one to see God get all the glory as sinners are saved and wrapped up into this relationship with him and us. Think with me for a moment about a good marriage. A good marriage isn't just two people living in the same house. It's two people who have a real relationship. A real relationship. A real relationship of love and oneness of purpose. They're one in heart and mind. They're on about the same thing. They're on the same page. They're driving in a direction together and all the while thinking about, caring for, serving, looking after each other. Now that's a good marriage, isn't it? Unity. Same with the family of God. We've been drawn into relationship with God and each other and so are to have oneness of mind and of heart, oneness of purpose, unity of love for each other, unity. Christian unity can tend to seem like a small thing for us. You know, get the churches together or get on a little better with each other. But Christian unity is nothing less than being wrapped up into a relationship of oneness with the God of the universe for his glory. A relationship of love and purpose and glory. Third piece of the puzzle, Christian unity, is unity of love and purpose. Fourth piece, Christian unity is unity that impacts the world, that actually changes lives. Have a look at verse 21. His prayer is that all of them may be one Father, just as you're in me and I'm in you. May they also be in us so that 
the world may believe that you have sent me. Verse 23, I in them, you in me, so they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. You can see from these two verses there's a result that comes from true unity. And it's that the world, the sinful world in opposition to God, will know God sent Jesus and has loved his people even as he's loved Jesus. The result of Christian unity is that our unity declares to the world Jesus is who he said he is. He's the one come from God to save us. And many people in the world seeing this will be drawn to hear the gospel, put their faith in Jesus and be saved. When the world sees the unity of Christians united to God, united to each other, real relationship, oneness of mind, of heart, of purpose, of love, the world says, this says to the world, you know what? This is for real. God sent Jesus. Put your trust in him. And some will. Not everyone. Only those who, verse 20, trust in Jesus through the apostolic message. Only those, verse 24, the Father has given to Jesus. The unity of Christians vindicates Jesus in the eyes of the world and leaves the world without excuse, declares the world Jesus who he said he is and brings those God has determined to eternal life. Now, I don't know about you, but when I look back at my conversion, I have to say that jealousy was part of what led me to Christ. That sounds pretty ugly, doesn't it? Jealousy. Um, but honestly, that was a big part of my salvation, or at least a piece. I had a best mate um, who grew up in a Christian family. About year nine, he started to take his Christian life seriously. Now, I just didn't get it. I didn't understand what he was on about. He worked very, very hard to get me to Christian stuff. Invited me to church all the time, invited me to youth group, invited me to Christian lunchtime group at school. And I didn't want to go. I made all sorts of excuses, had lots of headaches on a Sunday night when church was on. But he just kept inviting me. Now, I considered him my best friend. We have known each other since we are three years old. That's very special. And I wanted him to feel likewise about me. And I think he did see me as a good friend. But he also had this Christian crew thing. You know, those churchy people that he also hung out with as well. And as I watched them together, there was just something about their relationships that was different than my relationship with him. Something I knew I didn't have. There was a closeness, a, a care, a, a, a common thinking, something they were on about, a common purpose. Uh, I didn't have words for it, but a unity. And I was jealous. There was just something that they had that felt more like family than friends. Now, they were not perfect. They were nowhere near perfect. They were nowhere near as good and loving as Christians should be, but still more like family than friends. And I didn't have the words for it, but I could see their unity and I was jealous. I didn't want what they had, but I wanted what they had. <laughs> and I wanted my mate to be like that with me. and Now, this was a key piece that God used me to draw me to Christ a year later. Jealousy. I saw the unity that they had and it declared to the world that Jesus was who he said he was. May they be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me, says Jesus. Fourth piece of the puzzle. Christian unity is a unity that impacts the world. Puzzle piece five. Christian unity is unity that's eternal. In this section of Jesus' prayer, there are, there are two big things he seems to be praying for. There's a lot in it, but there's two really key requests, and I think they're linked. There's the request for the unity that we've been looking at, verse 21 and following. And then in verse 24, there's a request for glory. Two things Jesus asks his Father for us. In this world, that we would be one, united. And in the next world, that we would be with him in glory. 
Look at verse 24. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Jesus' prayer for us here, for those who have been given to Jesus by his Father, is a prayer for protection like he prayed for his apostles as we heard last week. It's a prayer that we might remain strong, remain united to Jesus through this life and so ultimately be with Jesus where he is, in glory, seeing his glory, his glory that the Father has given him because he loved him before the creation of the world, his full glory. Now again, this is an incredible prayer. This last night of Jesus' life before he's to be executed the next day, this is what is on his mind and heart. He's concerned about your eternal future. He wants you to be with him, to see him in all his glory for all eternity. That's what's on his mind as he goes to the cross. Now, we don't deserve this, but this is the very way that God is. It's by Jesus' death on the cross for us that he wins eternal life, and it's by Jesus' prayer for us here, answered by his Father, that he keeps us for eternal life. It's grace from beginning to end. Now, This prayer of Jesus can feel totally different from his prayer request for unity, but I don't think it is. He uses different language, but I just think this is more of the same. Notice Jesus is praying that we would be with him, this relationship, with him forever. A relationship together, us, with Jesus forever, unity. I think this is the culmination of his prayer for unity, the end point and fullness of our unity. What Jesus is praying for, what he died to achieve, is a unity that lasts forever. A relationship of love with God, Father, Son and Spirit and all his people for all eternity. The scope of unity for which Jesus is praying is mind-blowing. And notice Jesus says, I want I want those you have given me to be with me, Father. I want, literally, I will this, Father. It is my will that they be with me. Yes, a request, but he makes it clear to his Father that it is his will that we be with him in glory. And the will of Jesus is the will of the Father, and so the Father will answer this prayer. We can be certain of it. The fifth piece of the puzzle of Christian unity is unity is unity that is eternal. Now, I hope you're getting a picture of how huge unity is. Far bigger than churches getting together. Far bigger than Christians having good Christian mates. Even far bigger than us treating each other better as Christians. So that's important. Christian unity is about believing the truth of who Jesus is in the apostles' teaching. Trusting the Jesus from that truth and coming into a relationship, wrapped up into a relationship with him, his Father, the Spirit, the God of the universe and all his people for all eternity. A relationship of love, of purpose, a relationship which says to the world, God sent Jesus. Incredible. Do you see how huge Christian unity is? And before being about anything we have done, this is about what God has done for us. Plucked us out of a lost, dark world under his judgment and wrapped us up, bound us up into a relationship with him and each other forever. United in a relationship of love, and purpose and glory. This unity is salvation. This unity is salvation. But one final piece, and here is where it becomes super practical for us. Christian unity is unity that we have now and yet need to express more and more fully. We have it 
and you need to express and grow in it to express it better and better. See, we have it. By his death, resurrection, pouring out of the Spirit, Jesus has brought us into unity with him and his Father if we have faith in him. We have it. He's done it. It's an objective reality. I am united to Christ and through him to his Father and to every other believer. We have a unity now that is eternal. And yet, here Jesus prays in verse 23 that they may be brought to complete unity, the fullness of unity, the end point of unity. And I take it while in one sense we do have complete unity, united to God and each other now, our unity needs to be better and better expressed until its completion at the return of the Lord. We are united, but the full expression of our unity is not here yet. Jesus prays for it, and when he returns, it'll come fully. When he returns, this world will be done away with and the new creation will be brought in and sin will be stripped out and so so all division and lack of love and disunity will be stripped out and will never be again present. There will only be perfect unity with God and each other for all eternity. That's the future that's coming. We have unity. Perfect unity is coming. How are we to live now? Expressing the unity we have in Christ better and better until it's perfection. Growing and rightly expressing the unity we have. So in some sense, Christian unity is progressive to live out the unity we have more and more fully. And so here's where it becomes super, super practical. This year, if you thought, I'm I'm going to be far more committed to expressing the unity that I have in Christ, what would it look like? This year, what's it going to look like for you and me to better live out the unity we have in Christ? Well, here's a thought. It's going to look like being together. Christian community gathered as a community, a common unity. The Christian family gathering week by week around the word of God. So if you never get together with God's people, you're not living as if you're united to them. You're not expressing the unity that you have with them. And it may actually show in reality you're not actually united to them at all. Because the instinct of the Holy Spirit is to draw us together to express our unity. If you only sporadically get together with God's people, you're not really even united with them the way you should. And again, it may just say to you, are you actually united to them? Because the instinct of the Spirit is to get God's people to gather together to express their unity. If you only get together with God's people every second week, you're partially living united to them. But it shows there's growth needed. Imagine this, you get married... A few days later, you say to your wife, hey, hey, I'm just not loving your cooking. Now, she might respond, well, you do a bit of cooking then, but I'm, I'm just not loving your cooking, but you know what? I love my mum's cooking. So what I'm going to do is um, I just miss it too much. I'm going to go home, I'm going to live with her, and I'm going to eat her cooking. Now, we're still married. I'm going to drop in from time to time and see you, but I'm actually going to live at home because mum looks after me really well. You know, she, she washes all my clothes and does all my cooking, and so I'll live at home, but I'll drop in. And Now, what would that show about what you think about your marriage union? You'd be despising your marriage union, wouldn't it? You'd be despising the unity of your marriage. No, no, no. If you're married, you're united to your wife. You're inseparably as one, and so you need to live united in your marriage. Live out the unity that you possess in love, in oneness of purpose. Fundamental to being a Christian is gathering together with other Christians. Fundamental to living out our Christian unity is to be together. Are you committed to this as an expression of your unity in Christ? Or what else? What is it going to look like for you and me to live better, the unity we have in Christ, well, 
It'll mean growing together in the truth. The truth that brought us to unity and that sustains our unity. The truth of the gospel given by the apostles to Jesus by which we came to know and trust him and continue to grow in him. And so if we're living out Christian unity rightly, then we're going to be growing together as a community of truth, a learning community a growing to know God better and better through his word community, a taking every opportunity to get into the Bible community. The church that richly expresses their Christian unity is the church that gathers together around the word of God to hear him speak, to learn from him, to get to know him better and better through his word of truth, to share that word of truth with each other so that we all grow in our knowledge of the truth, knowing God better and better. A church united and healthy is united in the word of God and has it richly dwelling amongst us. I've used this illustration before, but I think it's a helpful one. Yeah, your washing machine, uh, you throw your clothes in, you, you put your detergent in and you set it to go, usually at night, so it's off peak and doesn't cost you as much money. And then in the night, oh, you wake up because you hear it, hear it going and your first cycle is the fill cycle. Shh, our pipes clank and stuff so we can hear it. Shh, fills up, fills up, fills up. Once it's all full up, it goes... Ding. Moves into wash cycle, back, forward, washing the clothes, pushing them against each other, rubbing them around, sloshing the water and the detergent through all the clothes so they all get clean. Now, church is a bit like that. God has given gifted teachers to bring the word of God to us to fill it up amongst us, to fill it up amongst us. So it immerses us in the word of God and then we... All, each one, slosh the word back and forth into each other's lives, teaching one another, sharing with each other, encouraging each other, speaking the truth of God to each other so that the word of God dwells richly amongst us, getting into every nook and cranny of every human heart and every human life. You play a critical part in bringing the word of God to bear in each other's lives so that together we reach unity in the faith. Do you know what will divide us as a church? if we will not submit to the word of God. Because when we won't submit to the word of God, we won't be teachable. And it's then we'll let false truths, false ideas come up and that will cause fractures and divisions, disunity. But if we love the word of God and sit under its authority, then more and more we will have a common mind, the mind of Christ. Are you committed to this as an expression of your Christian unity? What else? What's it going to look like for you and me to better live at our union in Christ? Well, it'll look like not merely growing intellectually, knowing things about God, but it will mean that this knowing of God in his truth is knowing him personally, trusting him more and more, getting to know Jesus better and better, growing in our relationship with him. The church that richly expresses unity is the church that is dedicated together to growing in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, living a real relationship, knowing him personally, Loving him more, obeying him more. That's what a healthy, united church looks like. We are deeply concerned with each other's walk with the Lord Jesus Christ and are doing all we can to help each other take it seriously and move forward in loving, obeying, honouring, adoring him as we ought. Together, growing in our relationship with our God. Are you committed to this as an expression of your Christian unity? A couple more. What else? It will look like genuine love. It will look like us growing in love for our Lord and love for one another. Tenderness, care, forgiveness, bearing with each other, overlooking things, getting to know each other, serving each other, 
Meeting, knowing, loving people who are not like us. Serving in practical ways. It looked like knowing people well enough that you know when things are not going well for them. So that you can actually step in and care and look out. The church that richly expresses Christianity is the church where people who are very different from each other genuinely care for each other and love each other because that is the way that God has loved us. And so that is the mark of his community. Does that mark us out? Does that mark me out? Uh, Three months after I became a Christian, I went on a um, youth camp at my new church where I'd just become a Christian. And I went to this youth camp and all the pieces of the puzzle just started slotting in place. They they taught me about things like the place of church in the Christian life, um, Bible study and youth group and how you read the Bible and how you pray and a whole whole bunch of things. And it was an amazing week. Heaps of fun, great activities, food. It was a a water camp on on the port hacking. It was amazing. I'd never experienced anything like it. But the thing I'd never experienced anything like was... It felt like a family. It, it felt like we wanted to be together. We, we were united around learning from the Bible together, singing and adoring our God together, living the Christian life together. And the kindness and the genuine concern was something I had never experienced in my life. At the end, um, one of the leaders said something like, camp is a taste of heaven. He's trying to prepare us for going home. Camp is a taste of heaven. I thought, yes, it is a taste of heaven. I've never experienced real community with real Christians. I've never experienced anything like this. And you know what? We live in it and we forget. We forget that what is going on here is so incredible and so profound. Now, it's not perfect, is it? But it is a taste of heaven. But just a taste. Because heaven is yet to come. And because it's just a taste, there's still all the mess. We're still all the sinners bound together and united by Jesus. And so we'll find that some of the people we relate to, we have nothing in common with. We'll find people upset us, rub us up the wrong way, and we them. We'll find there are things that we need to forgive and there are people we need to step out and load. All sorts of failings and difficulties. And this is the reality of Christian community. Messy reality, painful reality, good reality. Because it's good for us. Because this is what God has given us to learn to truly love each other as Christ has loved us. Are you committed to this as an expression of your unity in Christ? And lastly, what's it going to look like for you and me to better live out our unity that we have in Christ? Well, it'll look like we have one common purpose. We're just all driven by the same thing. And that is the Lord's purpose to bring himself all glory by taking the message of his son to the world that people might be saved and brought into this relationship with him. The Lord's one big mission, to proclaim the gospel so that sinners might be saved and grown as disciples all to the glory of God. That's what true Christian union look like. All of us using our different, different gifts and personalities towards one common goal, the Lord's goal, disciple-making. Becoming disciples, growing as disciples. That's what a healthy, united church looks like. United in the great purpose of God and single-minded in its pursuit. Am I committed to this as an expression of my unity in Christ? I hope you're getting a sense of how huge Christian unity is. It is nothing less than being plucked out of the lost, dark world that was opposed to God and under his judgment and wrapped up into a relationship of love and purpose and glory with the God of the universe and each other for all eternity. A unity that declares declares to the world, God sent Jesus. A unity that we have, but in this life that we need to express more and more fully. Now in a couple of moments we're going to celebrate communion together. But before we do, 
I'd love to ask you, why don't you just spend a couple of minutes thinking quietly about how you might more fully express the unity that we have in Christ. You might want to look at the headings on the screen. You might want to pick one of those headings and think, that's something I want to grow in. But I'll just give you a couple of moments to think about that and then we'll celebrate communion together. We're now going to celebrate communion together, which is very fitting, isn't it, to celebrate our communion, our common union in Christ, our common union in particularly his death on the cross for us. Together we are united as people united to Jesus, and so we participate together in this symbolic meal to remember what Jesus has done for us in this death, and so together to be strengthened in our faith. We together eat the bread Symbolic of Jesus' body broken in death to save us and unite us to God and to each other for all eternity. Together we drink the juice, symbolic of Jesus' blood poured out in death to again wash us clean, save us, unite us to each other, bind us together with him and each other for all eternity. If you are someone who is united to Jesus by trusting in him and his death for you, then can I invite you to share communion, common union with us. Uh, There are tables here down the front. There are tables up the back there. What we'll do is we'll jump up, go and grab some bread and some juice, take them back so that at at one moment we can all stand together and we can all share together our common union in the death of Christ. So why don't you do that now?
Let's stand together to express our common union in Christ. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Eat this remembering that Jesus died for you so that you might be forgiven and may be made one with him and each other for all eternity. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Drink this knowing that Jesus' blood has washed you clean and feed in him on your feed in him on your <laughs> feed on him in your heart by faith with thanksgiving. Let's pray. Our oh, Father, we thank you so much for your Son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you that on the night he died, we were on his mind, we were in his heart, we were on his lips. We thank you for the profound and astonishing unity that you've brought us into by his death and resurrection for us. We thank you for plucking us out of the world and wrapping us up into a relationship with you and for every, with every other believer, a relationship of love and purpose, a relationship that's eternal. And Father, please enable us more and more to live out and express the unity we have in Christ, to express it and grow in, it, to, in gathering together, in immersing each other in your word, in spurring each other on relationships with Jesus, in genuinely loving each other and single-mindedly pursuing your great purpose. Please change us. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.